listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics to help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. Are you easily distracted? Do you start your day off with an idea for how it's going to go, but by the end of it, realize you didn't get everything accomplished? Do you ever wonder where the time goes? If you answer yes to these questions, our guest today has a solution for you. His name is Nir Eyal. Nir is a national best-selling author who has been featured in Time Magazine, Inc., Forbes, and TED, just to name a few. In today's Masterclass episode, Nir is going to take us through the four-step methodology found in his book, Indistractable. As a result, we're going to learn how we can control our attention and choose the lives we want to live. I believe this is the most relevant topic in the entire world right now. With that said, get ready to become indistractable. Here is my conversation with Nir Eyal. Welcome to the Creating a Brand podcast. So excited to have you with us today. Thanks so much, Alex. Great to be here. I'm looking forward to jumping into this book with you. This was one that really, uh, really just had my, my wheels turning. I, I, this is one of the best books I've ever read. And I told just before we got started, but I believe it should be on every bookshelf in America, especially, but probably the world. And uh, you're one of the most intelligent authors, I think, that I've ever read a book by. I, mean, I was just impressed with the way that you wrote this and the, the detail that you went into. Uh, great work on this book. This is a masterpiece right here. Oh man, I really, really appreciate that. I uh, I'm so glad that you're recording this so I could play this for my wife because she doesn't think I'm anywhere near as, as intelligent <laughs> as you think I am. So I'm definitely going to keep that. Thank you. <laughs> you're like, see this random guy in Jacksonville, Florida. He says I'm smart. He he thinks I'm smart. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I really appreciate. It. it means a lot to me. You know, I I spent five years on that book and. Uh, I really wrote it first and foremost for me because I had this problem and I really wanted to solve it for myself. And I, I read every book I could find on the topic just to figure this out for myself. And when I couldn't find any book that actually fixed the problem, that's when I, I, I knew I had to I had to write this book uh, so that I could process it and find a solution for myself. And uh, it's really, you know, that, that's why I wrote the book, but it's really been the, the icing on the cake that so many people have found it helpful. Yeah, you definitely did the time. How long did it take to actually complete from start to finish? From start to finish, it was a good five years. Uh, I will wow. say that it took me that long because the first three years, I was so distracted <laughs> that I wasn't very <laughs> productive. Like I said, you know, I, I've never been a person who has a lot of self-control. I've never had a lot of willpower. I used to be clinically obese at one point in my life. And uh, so so I, I didn't write this book because I you know have a lot of self-control and I want to teach everyone else quite the opposite. I was looking for a book for people who don't have a lot of self-control, who still struggle with distraction, uh, because that you know th those people who need help, like me, I needed the help. And so that's really why I wrote this book, Indistractable, because it was a problem that I had in my own life. Nir, I'm actually really glad you said that, because I think a lot of people, they read a book by somebody and assume that the person who wrote it was already invincible. You know, like they already had the whole thing mastered and just already understood the topic so well, or like for you being like a master of self-discipline. But I'm glad you actually said that you're human, just like the rest of us and struggle with the same things that we struggle with. And yeah, it took you five years to write this book, which I think the, I mean, the quality of it shows for itself, it's worth the five years it took, but you're talking about how you were distracted initially. I think that's really good that you kind of just leveled that playing field that this is something that will work for all of us. Because you being someone who is also a distracted individual, um, we're going to be able to also apply it to our lives the same way you were able to. Uh, so I'm excited to jump into this today. Uh, first off, I love the, the kind of the, the, the title of this book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. I understand the whole second part, how to control your attention and choose your life. What does indistractable mean? Can you explain why you came up with that title for this? 
Yeah, so it's a made-up word, uh, and the the reason I made up the word is that I wanted it to sound like a superpower. So indistractable is supposed to kind of sound like indestructible, and I really do think it is a superpower. And the way I came to that conclusion, uh, there was a uh, a moment in my life when I really had to reconsider my relationship with distraction, and it came to me when I was with my daughter several years ago, and we had this beautiful afternoon planned. And, you know, just some time for daddy and daughter to, to bond and just have fun together. And I remember we had this book of activities that daddies and daughters could play together, you know, make a paper airplane, crossword puzzle. And one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question. If you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember the question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said, because in that moment... For some reason, I decided it was a good time to take out my phone and tell my daughter, just one sec, hon, I just have to do this one thing. And she got the message that whatever was on my screen was more important than she was, and she left the room. And by the time I looked up from my phone, I realized that she was gone, and I had blown this perfect moment. And it wasn't just with my daughter that this happened. It would happen when I would sit down at my desk to get some work done and find myself, you know, doing something else that I didn't intend. It would happen when I would say, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and I wouldn't, or I was going to eat right. And I didn't, uh, it would just keep happening again and again. And that's when I decided, you know, man, if I could have any superpower, uh, a realistic superpower, not, you know, the ability to fly or x-ray vision, but like a, a power that any <laughs> human being can actually attain. I just want the power to do what I say I'm going to do, right? How many, much of our lives is spent knowing we should do one thing, and yet we do something else. And I think in previous generations, you had the excuse of, well, I don't know what to do, right? Like, you know, maybe our grandparents could say, well, I don't know how to lose weight. Uh, who doesn't know how to lose weight today? Come on, everybody knows basically the, you know, the, the thermodynamics of eat less, exercise more. It's not rocket science. You don't need to buy a book to tell you that. You just need to do it. Or who doesn't know that to have better relationships in life, we need to be fully present with the people we love. Who doesn't know that if you want to be better at your job, you have to do the work, especially the hard stuff that other people don't want to do. We know what to do. And if you don't know what to do, Google it. It's all there. We know. <laughs> right. What we don't know is why do we keep getting distracted? And so that was certainly my problem. I knew what to do and I didn't do it. And so that's why I came up with this term of that, you know, I really do believe that the skill of the century is going to be the power to be indistractable. Uh, because it affects every area of our life. There is no uh, area of our life that doesn't benefit, whether it's your career, your your physical health, your mental well-being, your, your earning potential, your happiness level. Everything depends on your ability to sustain your attention and choose your life. Uh, I love hearing the passion in your voice about this. It's so it's so good. I think you could have titled this book, Indistractable, The Superpower for Humans. I mean, I think that it would have worked that way too, you know? <laughs> You're like, oh, wait, that's good. Um, yeah, let me no, scratch I, I'm going to call the editor. Hold on one second. Yeah. No, it, it really, that's what this is. I mean, and after reading this, I felt equipped, more equipped than I ever had before. And I'm somebody who really, uh, I consider myself difficult to distract because I'm, I'm become such a focused individual. But I took a lot of notes throughout this book and already began implementing a lot of it. So I'm excited to jump into the four main parts of Indistractable with you today. Uh, real quick, before we actually go into, in, into each of them, can you give us like a one minute overview of the four steps we're going to cover? Sure. So the four steps are master internal triggers, make time for traction, 
hack back external triggers, and prevent distraction with packs. Those are the four big strategies. Now, a lot of people, when they when they pick up a book on you know productivity or self-help or time management, they want the, the life hacks. They want the quick tips. They want the techniques. And, and that's all well and good, but I, I really wanted a book that, that gives you a bigger picture perspective, that dives into the psychology of why we get distracted. And, and this is an age-old problem. It's really important to understand. You know, many people want tips and tricks and life hacks about, you know, how to, uh, you know, change the settings on their phone and what app should I use? And, and that's all fine, but it's very surface level. It doesn't really get to the heart of the problem. Or you get this other type of person who, you know, believes this rubbish around, well, just go on a digital detox or, you know, just throw away your phone. Yeah, like, right. Like anybody can actually do that these days. We need these devices, right? right. And, and it's very elitist to say, well, just stop using technology. Number one, most of us will get fired, right? We won't have a job if we if we did that. And two, why should we? These are wonderful tools. So really the book is a tech positive approach that realizes that distraction is much, much deeper than this surface level analysis. It's it, it, I call it a proximal cause versus a root cause. So we really want to get to the root cause of the problem because you know tactics are what you do. Strategy is why you do it. And so it's much more important to understand the strategy because that will that will serve you for the rest of your life. The tactics will come and go with, you know, the different challenges and technologies and techniques that, that are around. But the strategies is, is, is really what took me the longest uh, in terms of the research behind this book was to filter out the noise, the stuff that isn't important to just its four basic fundamental elements. That's really uh, what, what's most important here. You know, when I first uh, got out of the aerospace industry, I was on a, on a branch of it where it was called the AOG line. It stands for aircraft on ground, which means if our customers at any point anywhere in the world, because we were global, had a problem with their aircraft, they would call this phone number and someone would answer it for sure. And they would have to act on whatever it was that that person was saying. And I had this phone for seven years and my phone rang any, I mean, it could be any day, any hour, it could be any holiday, anything like that. And I remember telling my wife, I'm like, as soon as I'm done with this AOG like this job that I'm in right now, like I'm going to throw a smartphone away and never use one again. And I told her that I'm like, that's how I'm not gonna be distracting more because I can't have this in my life in the future. Yeah. That day that I stopped and had the opportunity to throw away the smartphone, I looked at it and I was like, you know what, I kind of love this thing, actually. <laughs> you know, like, I'll find something else to distract me instead. And that's exactly what I did. Instead, I turned to social media and found the notifications were just as beautiful as the phone calls at two and three in the morning. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm glad that you're talking about a an approach that doesn't make us throw everything away and, you know, get rid of your TV, get rid of your phones, get rid of your computers. More so, you found a way to make this work internally with, with us. So I want to go ahead and jump into the parts. And uh, the first one here is to master internal triggers. Can you explain that in more detail? Sure. And just to back up on the point you just made, I think it's a really important place to start because when you, when you look at the, the history of this problem, it did not start with the cell phone and Facebook and social media or, or the iPhone. It goes back so much farther than that because every successive generation uh, has had this problem, right? They've always blamed something for distracting them. All the way back, the earliest recorded uh, complaint around distraction I found was from Plato. Plato called, you know, the Greek philosopher, he called it akrasia in the Greek, the tendency that we have to do things against our better interests. And so this has always plagued us, whether it's, you know, people complain the radio was melting our brain and television and video games and uh, all the way back to the written word, right? That even, even the written word Socrates said was going to enfable, enfable men's minds. Uh, the, the, this technology, this terrible technology of writing things down. 
And of course, that's never the source of the problem. The problem goes much, much deeper. And so uh, be before I get into the, 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 the big four strategies, let me just talk about what distraction is so, so we can kind of yeah. get our terminology straight and understand what, what is the problem itself. So the best way to understand distraction is to understand what is the opposite of distraction. Most people, if you ask them, what's the opposite of distraction, they'll tell you it's focus. But that's not exactly true. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. That in fact, the, both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And they both end in the same six letter word, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you really want to do, things that you do with intent, things that move you towards your values and help you become the person you want to become. Now, the opposite of traction is distraction, any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do, away from your values, moves you further away from being the kind of person you want to become. So this is really important for two reasons. Number one, any action can be either traction or distraction. Uh, even the ones we think are productive. Let me give you a great example. This used to get me all the time. I would sit down at my desk and I would say, okay, now I'm going to focus on what I wanted to do. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm going to do that task. Uh, I'm not going to delay. Here I go. I'm going to get to work right now. I'm going to start, but first let me check email for just a quick minute, right? Hmm. Because Email is kind of a productive thing to do, right? I'm, 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 I'm taking something off my to-do list here. Isn't that making progress? And I would argue that that is the most pernicious form of distraction. Because if you're, you know, watching a YouTube video at work or pay, playing Candy Crush or I don't know, you know, uh, checking Facebook, well, that's pretty obvious that you're distracted. You and everybody else knows that's not what you're supposed to be doing at work. And yet when we check email or tick something off of our to-do list, when that's not what we plan to do, that is just as much of a distraction because distraction has tricked us into prioritizing the urgent at the expense of the important. So anything, any action can be a distraction. And conversely, any action can be traction. That if you plan to waste your time doing something, you know, quote unquote, waste your time, that is not wasted time, in fact. That there's nothing wrong with these technologies. I, I hate this this uh, moral hierarchy that people have of oh you know you uh, you on Facebook or you playing a video game that's frivolous but uh, me watching football that's okay right like there, there's no difference <laughs> like right, oh right. reading a book is somehow like morally superior to someone playing a video game no it's ridiculous it's all a pastime and it's all fine if and only if you decide when you will engage in those activities, okay? Because anything can be distraction and anything can be traction. So you can turn these so-called distractions, whether it's you know playing a video game or watching TV or Facebook or whatever, into traction with one word. And that one word is intent, okay? And we'll get back to how to make time for traction in just a minute. That's step two. But let me get to what we call the triggers, the triggers are the things that prompt us to take those actions, either traction or distraction. We have two types of triggers, external triggers, which are the pings, the dings, the rings, all of the, the things in the outside environment that lead us to traction or distraction. And we'll get back to what do we do about those in a minute. But it turns out that even people, even though people tend to blame the external triggers, 
the number one source of distraction, the leading cause of distraction is not what is happening outside of us, but rather what is happening within us. That the leading cause of distraction is what we call an internal trigger. Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape from. Uncertainty, boredom, stress, fatigue, loneliness. That is what prompts us to distraction much more than the pings and dings from our phones or computers, right? That's, that's kindergarten stuff compared to the right. real reason we procrastinate and get distracted because distraction is always an emotion regulation problem. It's not a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. It's not a moral failing. It's simply that most people do not have the tools to deal with uncomfortable emotional states in a healthy way that leads them towards traction rather than distraction. So that's the first place to start. So now we can work our way around these four points, starting with mastering the internal triggers. And so the way we master the internal triggers, there's many different techniques that I talk about in the book, but basically what we're doing is we are choosing how to respond to uncomfortable emotional states because time management is pain management. Okay, and, you, and this is something I, I didn't see in any other book, but is, is really fundamental to understand. And this kind of blew my mind when I, when I really read into the literature that most people are mistaken, I know I certainly was, around what is the source of human motivation. That when you ask people, what, what motivates us? Most people give you some version of carrots and sticks, right? It's the pursuit of pleasure exactly. and the avoidance of pain. Uh, uh, Jeremy Bentham talked about this. Uh, Sigmund Freud called it the pleasure principle. But we now know that that is actually not true. That neurologically speaking, we do not do things in the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain, but rather we do everything for just one reason. And that is the desire to escape discomfort. Everything you do is about the desire to escape discomfort physiologically this is pretty obvious it's called the homeostatic response and here's how it works you go outside and it's cold so the brain says oh this isn't this isn't comfortable you should put on a jacket you go back inside now it's too warm the brain says this is uncomfortable take your coat off uh when you feel hungry you feel hunger pangs so you eat and when you eat too much oh now you feel stuffed you stop eating so everything we do is about this homeostatic response this desire to escape discomfort Physiologically, that's very obvious, but the same thing holds true psychologically. So everything we do in terms of you know why we say what we say and act the way we act, it's all about the desire to escape discomfort. Think about it, you know, with some of the products we use. When you're uh, uh, lonely, you check Facebook. When you're uncertain, you Google. When you're bored, well, there's lots of solutions, right? Netflix and uh, right. Instagram and Reddit and Pinterest. And the list goes on and on. Lots of different solutions but it's always about these uncomfortable emotional states, these internal triggers. So that has to be the very first step is to master those internal triggers. So I give you some, some very uh, uh, relatively simple techniques, but that are all based in really good research. You know, there's 30 pages of citations in the book. I, I hate these self-help books that tell you, oh, you know, this is what worked for me, so it's gonna work for everyone. No, 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 that's not good enough for me. I really wanted everything not only to be effective and actually work in my own life, I use every single one of the techniques in the book, but also they had to be backed by peer-reviewed studies. And so there are many different tactics that you can use so that when you feel these uncomfortable emotional states, you are ready, you have a habit of responding to them 
in a way that leads you towards traction rather than the escape, the harmfulness of distraction. As a thank you for listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, I'd like to invite you to join our private community for free. If you text the word community to 1-904-299-8992, I'll respond with a free invitation link. Once you join, I'll connect you with other community members and resources to help accelerate your success. Join today by texting the word community to 1-904-299-8992. I'm looking forward to talking to you within the Creating a Brand community. And now let's get back to today's episode. There's a quote on page 37 that you mentioned that I want to talk about before we move into part two. And it says that while we can't control our feelings and thoughts that pop into our heads, we can control what we do with them. I think it's important for people to understand that we can master these internal triggers. We have that ability to do that. We can't control when they pop into our head, but what we do with them is our choice. That is an active decision that we make. So we can actually do something with this. So I love this point and I love all the examples you have in there. A lot of them are really helpful for me because some of them I hadn't thought about because I hadn't done the deep dive into the science behind them and if they actually work or not. So I appreciate you not going the self-help route and be like, just do this. You know, you gave real examples, real things that can work. And I I appreciate you doing that. Absolutely. And your point is, you know, I didn't realize that. I thought, you know, my job was to get my feelings under control, right? That's kind of what we're taught, uh, that we're not supposed to let our feelings show and we're supposed to control them, right? Uh, uh, keep Keep them at bay. And it turns out we actually cannot control our feelings. We cannot control our urges, right? It's like asking someone to control the urge to sneeze. Once you have the urge to sneeze, it's already there. It's happened. You you can't control that urge. What you can control is how you respond to that urge, hence the word responsibility. So so that's, that's a really important distinction because it turns out once you have a toolkit at your disposal for how you can respond in a healthier manner, now you can actually use those uncomfortable emotional states to drive you towards traction, right? It becomes rocket fuel to help you do what you really want to do. Because another thing that I hate about the self-help industry is that so many gurus out there tell us that you're always supposed to be happy all the time, right? How many books have happiness in the title as the goal of, of your life that, uh, you know, if you're not content all the time, something's wrong with you, that if you spend a, a millisecond feeling bad, well, that's something that needs to be fixed or escaped. And that is not true, that in fact, feeling bad is not bad, that it is our disquietude that drives us to achieve, right? If you think about it from an evolutionary basis, if our species ever had a group of homo sapiens who you know were sitting on the savanna and one particular tribe figured out the the key to happiness they figured out the secret to infinite contentment well that group of homo sapiens would have been eaten by our ancestors right <laughs> like we we would have killed right. them <laughs> because that is not an evolutionary beneficial trait you want a species to always want more Right, that that what drives us to create world-changing medicine, uh, inventions, reach for the moon, overturn despots—it's always dissatisfaction. And I think the self-help industry out there has really not served us because it's it's pathologized feeling bad, and that's not true. We can use that discomfort to propel us forward towards traction. Now, what many people do is because they don't want to feel bad they find something to take their mind off of that feeling, right? They feel bored and they're instantly on Facebook. They feel uncertain or fearful 
and they turn on the television. They, they, they feel uh, stressed and they pour themselves a, a drink. That's not useful either because now you're just escaping it. So the real goal is to figure out how to harness it to move you forward, those acts of traction rather than distraction. Nir, you just mentioned something key. We can use our discomfort to propel us forward toward traction. The goal is traction, which is the opposite of distraction. This is actually a perfect time for us to segue into part two of becoming indistractable, which is to make time for traction. Can you share with us how we can begin making time for this traction? Sure. Yeah. So, okay. So we talked about traction and distraction. So the second step is to make time for traction. And this one is, is more uh, tactical and practical, I think, of a, of a step than step one. This is really about this fact that you cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. Let me say that again. You cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. And so, you know, I used to complain about how, oh, I just can't seem to get anything done. And oh boy, isn't the world so distracting these days with what's happening in the news? And uh, my boss wants this and my kids want that. And, you know, my spouse asked for that and I just can't seem to get anything done. And then I realized that, you know what? If I don't plan what it is I wanted to do, what the heck did I get distracted from? Right? right so if right. your schedule is blank, if you have white space in your day, I don't want to hear any whining about you getting distracted because what did you get distracted from exactly? Nothing. <laughs> Everything is a distraction. Right. So there's a reason we call it paying attention. There is value to our attention. And so we need to start valuing it uh, the way it, it deserves, which is by planning out what we want to do with our time. And that planning process needs to be based on your values. I call it turning your values into time. You know, so many of us talk a good game about we value our health, we value our relationships, we value uh, learning. But is that time on your schedule? For most people, it isn't. And they don't know where their time goes. So this isn't about being a drill sergeant and keeping track of every minute of your day. But it is really about planning how you want to spend your time. And so for the average person, it takes about 15 minutes a week uh, to sit down and decide how you want to spend your time based on your values. And I show you exactly how to do this in the book with these three life domains uh, of you, your relationships, and your work. And basically, I show you how in a very you know a matter of minutes, how to plan your day so that for the first time, you'll be able to look at your calendar and say, ah, everything that I plan to do is traction. Even if it's play video games or watch Netflix, that's fine. I don't care what you do with your time. What I want to do is to help you do whatever it is you want to do with your time. So when you look at your calendar and you see whatever it is you plan to do, that's traction. Instantly, everything else is a distraction. And so now you can finally tell the difference, which means you can do something to prevent getting distracted in the future. The thing I really like about this point is that most people talk about the things that you need to avoid and just get rid of this and get rid of that and get rid of this and get rid of that. But they don't talk about what you should be doing with that time. So like you're saying, it's not really distraction if you never planned for anything anyway. That point right. is so powerful right there. Like that, that if anyone just gets that one point from this, like that's a win right there is being able to say, oh, I just need to actually say this is what is actually good time. This is like used wisely. This is my traction time. And then yeah. anything else is a distraction. But without saying that, it's hard to determine what a distraction really is. Uh, this point was powerful really powerful. And I, I think, you know, the, the feeling I would love to give everyone, if I could wave a magic wand, I want people to experience the pleasure of true leisure. You see, most people out there, uh, especially the type A personalities who care about getting things done and, and, and uh, you know, accomplishing their goals, 
they've never felt what it's like to really enjoy time off because uh, you know what you do like you you know you're watching a, a movie on netflix you're playing with your kid you're reading a book and in the back of your mind mm, i wonder if, if somebody's waiting for me on email or i wonder if i should just finish that one thing that i didn't get done at work or you're constantly having this list of to-dos in the back of your mind of what you didn't finish and so even when you have leisure even when you want to enjoy yourself you're thinking about that other stuff and so the beauty of becoming indistractable is that even the leisure time becomes exactly what you want to do. You want to play a video game? Yes, that now is traction because you plan for it and anything else would instantly become a distraction. And so the 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 ease that you you live your life, the pleasure of actually enjoying leisure is on a whole nother level. And I think it's so important once again that the audience really captures this today creating a brand plan that time for traction, it is going to change your life this one point alone. Uh, you're having a great time with this conversation. I'm ready to jump into part three here to hack back external triggers. Yes. Okay. So this is step three. Now we got to talk about we talked about the internal triggers earlier, that is more important. But after we do step one, after we do step three, now it's time to talk about those external triggers, the pings, the dings, the rings, everything in our outside environment that can lead us towards distraction. It can also lead us towards traction too. there's nothing necessarily evil about external triggers. You know, if you get a notification on your phone that says, hey, it's time for that meeting, or it's time to go exercise, or it's time for that phone call. Well, then that's great. That's exactly what you plan to do. It's leading you towards traction. But if you're with your daughter, as I was, and I plan to be fully present with her, and now my phone buzzes, and now I'm checking my device as opposed to being with her, well, that's led me astray. That's led me away from what I plan to do. Now that's distraction. So the idea here is that we're going to ask ourselves, for all the external triggers in our life, we're going to ask ourselves the key question. The key question is, is that trigger serving me, or am I serving it? And if it is not serving me, it's got to go. And I'm just not, I'm not talking about the, you know, the cell phone or your computer, that's kindergarten stuff. You don't need to buy a book to tell you to turn off notifications, although you absolutely should, right? It turns out two thirds of Americans don't take the five minutes to turn off those notifications. But being what it is, that's obvious. What I wanted to explore are the external triggers that people don't tend to think about, right? Meetings. What a gigantic waste of time most meetings are these days, right? Because people don't know how to have meetings without distraction. So I show you exactly how to have the kind of meetings that you can, you can make more productive so that you have less of them and so they become less of a distraction. Emails. I can show you how to reduce the time you spend on email by up to 90%. Uh, family members. You know, so many of us are working from home these days. We don't talk about this dirty truth that, you know what, your kids can be a huge distraction as much as we love them. Your spouse, your kids, your roommate can also be distractions because they are external triggers as well. And so I tell you how to hack back those external triggers. And I think another really important point here, you know, I use the term hack back because, you know, in, in uh, computer programmer speak, to hack means to gain unauthorized access. Okay, that's what it means to hack something. So it's pretty obvious that these companies, any media company is trying to hack your attention, not just Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, but you know, CNN, the New York Times, all of them make their money the exact same way. They sell your eyeballs to advertisers. So they are clearly hacking your attention. They are trying to gain unauthorized access to your attention. They'll do anything they can to get it. But that doesn't mean we're powerless. And so I show you how to hack back their technology, how to use technology to fight technology distractions. So there's all kinds of tools out there, most of them are absolutely free, that allow us to change their technology in ways they can't do anything about.
it kind of goes back to that powerful question that you posed on page 85. Is this trigger serving me or am I serving it? And mm-hmm. you give a lot of practical application during this whole section of the book here where you talk about hacking back your smartphone, hacking back your desktop, hacking back, back your, your articles and blog posts that you're reading, and then the actual feeds through social media. We're not going to jump into all that today, but it that is so valuable. And I actually took a, quite a few of those tools that you mentioned. I had a few of them, but some of them I was like, man, this is fantastic. I didn't know this type of technology existed that really allows you to hack back like you're talking about. So it's Really, uh, really glad that you put all that in the book and helped us find that information. So uh, creating a brand, I again, I highly recommend you pick up a copy of this book. Uh, so you can begin hacking back what really matters in your life and making room for that traction. So uh, near as we move into part four, uh, I know that this this part only applies after we've learned to master internal triggers, uh, after we've made time for traction and after we've uh, hacked back those external triggers. That's the only time that you can really implement this last point in becoming yeah. indistractable. Can you talk to us about part four and what this means? Sure. So the last step, as you said, has to come after we've done the other three. And this involves preventing distraction with pacts. So this is what we do as the last line of defense. This is the firewall to prevent you from getting distracted. So what we are going to use as this fourth step is called a pre-commitment device. A pre-commitment device uh, has been very well studied in the psychology community. Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to make a promise to ourselves or to someone else so that when the time comes, when we feel that urge, if we fail, that there is some kind of backstop to ensure we don't get distracted. And so there are three types of pacts we can make. We have what we call an effort pact, a price pact, and an identity pact. And so we, we don't have time to talk about all three of them, but I'll give you a taste of one of them that, that we I use all the time in my household. This is called an effort pact. Uh, here's how it works. So Uh, You know, my wife and I, a few years ago, we noticed that every night we were going to bed later than we wanted to, right? We wanted to make sure that we wanted to uh, get good sleep. You know, we, the, the, I don't have to preach to you about it. Everybody knows these days that sleep is very important for our physiological and our psychological well-being, but we weren't going to bed on time. That was really annoying. Why not? We said we wanted to, why didn't we? Well, part of the problem was that night after night, I was staying up, you know, checking email or social media and she was, you know, playing around on her iPad And so here's what we did. After we did the other three steps of mastering the internal triggers, making time for traction, hacking back the external triggers, we did one more thing, which is I went to the hardware store and I got us this $5 outlet timer. Now this timer plugs into the wall and whatever you plug into it will turn off at a certain time that you set. And so in my household, every night at 10 p.m., the internet router shuts off. Okay. Now, could I turn it back on? Of course I could. Could I tether to my phone? Of course I could. But what I've done is I've added a bit of friction, a bit of effort, so that now I've turned a mindless behavior into something that requires a bit of mindfulness, right? Because now I have to go under my desk and unplug it and replug it. It takes some work. And now I have to ask myself, wait a minute, is this really what I wanted to be doing with my time? Is this really serving me? And so that bit of mindfulness helps me stop and reflect. So I put some effort in between me and something I don't want to do. Actually, today, uh, there are internet routers that come with this feature built right in. So you can say, okay, turn off the iPad and the computer's internet access, but uh, keep on the you know, the Alexa or the, the home security system, for example. So the, that, that would be an example of an effort pack. There are many, many others I talk about that we can uh, do as well. Then there's the price pact, which is about having some kind of financial disincentive. It's actually helped me finish my book. Was, uh, was I used a, a price pact. And then there's one more pact that I want to talk about briefly, which is an identity pact. An identity pact 
is I, I think you know one of my favorite uh, revelations that I had in this book was was uncovering the research around the psychology of religion, and it turns out that we we know when people have some kind of moniker, some kind of identity, some noun they call themselves, they become much more likely to do what they say they're going to do. So when someone calls themselves uh, a devout Christian or an observant Muslim or even a vegetarian, uh, they, they've offloaded some of that decision-making. And so we can actually use this to our advantage. So you know, a vegetarian doesn't wake up in the morning and say, hmm, should I have some bacon for breakfast? No, that decision has already been made. They don't have to expend any willpower and self-control because they are going to live according to their identity. So this gets back to why did I title the book Indistractable? Another reason why the book is titled Indistractable is because this is your new moniker. So you know whether you read the book or even just listening to me on this podcast, you can start calling yourself this term. And by calling yourself Indistractable, not only will you change your life, you will become Indistractable, you will live up to that identity, but this is how we change the, 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 the larger community. This is how we change the world. Uh, it reminds me a lot about how my mom, uh, back in the 1980s, I remember people used to come to our home, and we had ashtrays in our living room. Now, my parents didn't smoke, and yet we had these ashtrays, because back in the early 80s, that's just what people did. But of course, today, you would never walk into someone's home and you know, light up a cigarette, that would be, that, nobody would do that, right? Can you imagine if someone right. walked into the living room and just, you know, decided to smoke? That'd be incredibly rude. But that was a very right. common behavior. So what changed? Was there a law that says you can't smoke in someone's private residence? No, there's never been such a law. What changed was people like my mom took the ashtrays away, she threw them out. And when someone tried to smoke in our house, she said, oh, I'm sorry, we are non-smokers. If you would like to smoke, if you'd kindly go outside. And so that's what we have to do to become indistractable. We have to be a little strange. It's okay. We're going to be a little weird here, right? Is, is it any more weird than being like my mom and saying we're non-smokers or you know, someone who has a, a vegetarian diet or wears you know, a particular religious garb? Maybe it's outside the norm, but this is how we affect social change. We stand up and we say, my time, my attention, my life is something that I will control. I won't let other people control that because I am indistractable. And so we can make those identity packs to help ourselves and others. So to go back over these once again, it's master internal triggers, make time for traction, hack back external triggers, and finally prevent distraction with packs. And you ended with talking about identity packs, which I believe are the most powerful of the bunch. Uh, mm -hmm. Nir, this was such a phenomenal conversation. I had a blast today. I learned a lot. Even after reading the book, I still learned a lot from this conversation. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I was talking to Alicia, my wife slash CEO, about this book yesterday. Nir is one of the most gifted and intelligent writers I've ever come across. This book contains a message that everybody needs to read. This book actually has more to offer than we were able to cover in this one episode. Parts five through seven really dive deeper into some of the main places where people get distracted. And Nir provides a solution for overcoming these distractions. I truly do believe this book should be in every house and office in the world. Can you tell them I'm a fan of Indistractable? I'd like to have a conversation with you about this episode. I'll start off with a question that I'd love for you to answer. What is one of your personal hacks that has helped you become indistractable? Please share what's working for you with the rest of the Creating a Brand audience by going to creatingabrand.com slash 052. Then scroll to the bottom and you'll see where you can answer my question. I'm looking forward to chatting with you there. Nir, thank you again for being a guest and helping us all become indistractable. 
To pick up a copy of Nier's book, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 052. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.